Why couldn't the black people just go in just like the white people? That was the law back then. One morning in rural Alabama, Michael's granddaddy donned a fancy suit. Now, granddaddy was ordinarily a man who wore coveralls and work clothes, and it wasn't a church day either. So Michael knew that something really special must be happening. He put on a necktie himself for whatever the occasion. The occasion, as it turned out, was voting day. The first one that granddaddy, or anyone in Michael's family, was allowed to vote. Michael's teacher said that a law had just been passed making it so. But as he soon learned, in the civil rights era of the South, the journey toward racial justice was long. It is, in fact, a journey we're still on. Hi, I'm Sarah DeBacher, your host for Little Voices, Big Ideas, the podcast that votes for picture books as platforms for change and, more specifically, as ways to discuss the big and sometimes difficult topics we all encounter on our respective journeys through this thing called life. This season, we're heading to the polls. We hope you will head to your local library and check out each episode's featured title and that you'll read and talk as a family about the big deal that is democracy and what it means to live in a nation founded on the principle that all men are created equal, but with a history that calls America's commitment to that claim into question. On today's episode, Granddaddy's Turn, A Journey to the Ballot Box, Published by Candlewick Press, this award-winning book, written by Michael S. Bandy and Eric Stein, and illustrated in vivid watercolors by James E. Ransom, was published in 2015 and shares one family struggle for voting rights in the civil rights era South. Today, we'll walk with Michael and his granddaddy to the polls, exploring how this story can shine a light on an important period of American history and on the promise of one voice, one vote, through the discussion of this book. I'm joined today by fellow registered voters, Susan Larson, who hosts another book-loving podcast, The Reading Life. Hi, Sarah. Children's book author and public scholar, Freddie Evans. Hi, Sarah. And philosophy professor and author of multiple books on teaching philosophy to the youngest among us, Tom Wartenberg. Hello, Sarah. We will also hear from Crystal in conversation with her two daughters, 10 and 6-year-old Bo and Arrow, and from a grandmother, Carmen, who, along with her 8-year-old granddaughter, Alexia, and her younger bestie, Leilani, talk about granddaddy's turn. So lots of voices today, lots of votes as we go beyond the bedtime story. Now, as a mother, and specifically a mother of two toe-headed white boys, I have to say that I really appreciate this book for providing a lens through which to discuss the civil rights movement. My boys were aware of this period in history in broader terms through, of course, their formal schooling. But when we read this together, they were really astonished to learn that the Voting Rights Act preceded their own mother's birth by just over a decade. Uh, So not very long 
this book provided an opportunity to talk about that in a way that I really appreciated. And it, it was a moving book, too. They were both really moved by the emotional core of the book, uh, the relationship between Michael and his and his granddaddy, and the reverence that granddaddy had for something that many of us now take for granted, which is is voting. I take my boys to the polls with me all the time, and I let them push the little button. Um, but I'm not sure that we had, prior to reading this book together, really contemplated uh, what it took to get there, or even had the opportunity outside of formal schooling to have a conversation about those subjects. So gratitude to the authors um, for this text and that opportunity. Uh, Tom, I know that you are eager to to talk about this book and the opportunity that it presents to families and also to philosophers. So what say you about Granddaddy's Turn? I think that it raises questions about the civil rights movement uh, that it would be good to discuss with children. Uh, for one thing, the book, through the voice of Granddaddy, who's presented as a very positive character, because he's seen through the eyes of the young boy, sort of an idealized way, uh, Granddaddy basically counsels patience a couple of times. Mm. Once I was discussing a different story with some children in New Zealand, actually, and uh, they surprised me because they started saying, well, you know, I had been saying that I thought patience was a virtue and that it was a good thing to be patient and that we all had to learn to be patient, which is a thing I think we often teach our kids. But these children who were maybe 12 started saying to me, no, patience isn't always good. You know, for example, uh, Martin Luther King wasn't patient. When you're dealing with injustice, it's not good to be patient. So I think the issue of patience and whether granddaddy's counsel of being patient is a good thing is a really great subject to discuss when you're uh, looking at this book. Let's listen to the voices of Carmen talking with her granddaughter, Alexia, and Alexia's best friend, Leilani. When we finally got to the front of the line, my granddaddy proudly signed a paper and was handed a ballot. He clenched the ballot to his chest and said, son, this is the happiest day of my life. But before we could even walk to the voting booth, a deputy stopped us and asked my granddaddy, what are you doing, uncle? I'm voting today, sir, my granddaddy replied. The deputy got out a big, thick book and slammed it on the table he opened it to a page with words that look longer than crawfish. Can you read this, uncle? The deputy asked. My granddaddy just stared at the pages and shook his head no. Sir, I can't, he replied. The deputy slammed the book shut, saying, well, uncle, if you can't read this, then you can't vote. Why did granddaddy think that was the happiest day of his life? Because um, granddaddy was so happy that he could vote, but he couldn't. Because he was so happy because when he went there, he said, patience, son, patience. But when he got there, he had to do a test, and that made him really, really angry. He was mad. Yeah, yeah. he cried when he left. He didn't say a word. 
to this opportunity to reflect together on the significance of something that might seem perfunctory when you're pushing mm-hmm. the button and how important the journey to get there was for granddaddy in particular. But I think also maybe how important it is to maintain an appreciation for the act of voting. What about you, Freddie? One thing that I think about is why was it so important for people to suppress the vote? Why was it so important for them to hamper it and to disallow them that opportunity? It was another way of of saying you're not 100% human. You're not fully a part of this country. You you don't have the rights that we have. Mm. Right. And, and I think they do that very sensitively in the way they describe how people are watching, how the trooper acts. You know, that whole complex of let us assert our privilege. Mm-hmm is shown really beautifully, I think. Oh yeah, he did a great job. If the black people have to do a test, why can't the black people just go in just like the white people? That was the law back then. Remember you say about the law, where they live, it was the law. Down here in the South where we live, now that's where we live at, back then, it was in the 50s and the 60s, it just wasn't allowed for us to vote. To vote? Yeah. But now we can vote. Now we can. And just to take us back into the text for sort of a point of clarification, what happens when Granddaddy shows up at the polling place is he is forced to take a literacy test and he cannot read what is shown to him, of course, as a tool of voter suppression, use of literacy tests being one historical example of voter suppression. And you're right. It's a really key moment in the book. He's not able to vote. These weren't like normal literacy tests. It wasn't like they gave him the Constitution or something to read. Uh, What they did was they took very arcane legal jargon and presented it to people and ask them to explain it. You know, most of us, if we got a uh, legal decision where they use very fancy terms, we wouldn't know what it's talking about. So, I mean, literacy tests were really, it wasn't really just seeing if someone's literate, whether they could actually read the names on the ballot. You could argue that people have to be able to read a little bit to be able to vote since they have to know who they're voting for. But that's not what literacy tests were about. They were a tool to disenfranchise Black voters, period. Freddie. I agree. And that was not the only mechanism. There were also poll taxes and you know all kinds of threats. Tom, I totally agree with what you said about um, patience and how maybe that was not the approach. But when we think about the fact that even before the Voter Rights Act, people were killed, they were beaten, brutalized, so many ways. And so maybe this was this way's grandfather way of not only protecting himself, but also teaching his grandson how to remain alive. So I wrestle with this. I commend, first of all, the author for getting the book in print in this shape, although I feel that it was lightly treated, the content, but he did get it to the place where it's available for us to even discuss. And of course, the illustrator, James Ransom, did an excellent job as always, but it was handled lightly. And I think many times that is because it is a way of showing how the strategies that were employed by African-Americans to simply survive. Patience, son. Patience. That's right. Patience, son. Patience. Patience. Always have patience. 
counseling patients is also a way, as you say, of protecting that Black parents in the South taught their children to be as intrusive as possible because, especially boys, if they were not, uh, they could suffer the fate of ultimately being lynched or beat mm -hmm. up. Or, mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's a certain way in which, you know, the counseling of patients can be seen positively, even though before I was suggesting that there's a problem with suggesting that we should always be patient. Yes. Mm. But what a striking connection y'all are making. This makes me think, of course, of how the book, when you're reading it through the lens of more um, contemporary history and and specifically with my kids, I that parallel between the refrain of have patience or be patient, the admonition to be patient as a protective notion or a protective phrase. You can easily make that connection to now with uh, when those who are intended are are so-called protectors or helpers, police, when children are witnessing that their lives, their very lives are at risk because of the very color of their skin. Right. And I didn't make that connection between this, you know, now the contemporary concerns that a black parent might have about having their child live in a world simply being black Mm -hmm. And and the way in which that increases their likelihood of being shot uh, and and experiencing violence at the hands of police, uh, you know, and here at the hands of a poll worker or other people in the community. So thank you for bringing that connection. It's, that's a lot to take in, I think, for for kids. One of the things that strikes me about this book is that change happens off the page. You know, it, all of a sudden. Michael is older, he can vote. The action that makes that possible has all happened off this picture frame in a way. And all of a sudden, patience has been rewarded. And I wish there had been some kind of discussion of what it took all those years to get to the right to vote. Hmm. You know, because patience isn't enough by itself. Patience demands action as well. Well, getting back to this notion of you know, this book being a great opportunity for discussion. Let's go ahead and listen to this book being discussed by Crystal and her daughters, Beau and Arrow. Do you think that everyone should have the right to vote? Why or why not? I think that everyone should have the right to vote because if somebody wants to vote and they can't, it wouldn't be fair to that person and if this other person was allowed to vote, that would be unfair. Do you think that everybody should have the right to vote? Yeah. Why? Even black people. That's right. Not everybody. only white people. Everybody. Black people exactly. Could. That's Everyone very could vote. Right, because it's fair. Everybody black should have a chance. Only white people could vote. Yeah, everybody should so have a chance. So that's not fair. That's right. For black people. I love that what Crystal's doing here is really working to to humanize those who have had their voices suppressed. And yet I think that this also offers an opportunity to talk a little bit and more critically or to, to dig deeper into, well, who really should have the right to vote? Are there any criteria that should be in place? What kinds of conditions do you think are appropriate for us to have in place in our American democracy? If we want it to work for all of us, who should and who shouldn't? And are there any exceptions to that? But I love that stubborn insistence. It's not fair. 
in yeah. childish voices, <laughs> you know, because that finally planting that seed is what propels change. Why do you think some people were denied the right to vote? I think that they were denied because there was a lot of racism going on back then mm-hmm. and segregation, segregation. That's right. And, and their rights were denied. One of the things that I hope we're advocating for is for parents to work on building that questioning muscle beyond uh, the scope of what of the strategies that were used for us in in formal education settings, right? Where we were reading together in a classroom, perhaps popcorn reading, right? Where one person reads one paragraph and the next person reads the next paragraph. And then at the end of it, what are we gonna talk about? Well, we're gonna talk about what the plot, the main ideas, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps, Where do you see these literary devices at work? But not necessarily. Why do you think that is? What does this tell us about who we are? What are the implications for this book? I have to think that books are for more than proving vocabulary comprehension (laughs) and that you understand literary devices. And Sarah, that's the beauty of this program Mm -hmm. and of Primetime Family Literacy Program Mm -hmm. is that we model and uh, those types of questions, those open-ended questions. Because like you said, school usually wants the definite answer, mm-hmm. you know, the yes or no, the right or wrong answer, not an answer that requires you to express yourself and your opinions and your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. My best professor in college said, you never really have read a book unless it's changed your life. And every book really has the possibility to do that, I think. I mean, as we see with these books that are complicated enough to engage us on so many levels. A simple book like this has a tremendous potential. And, you know, I think one of the great things of going beyond the bedtime story is, in fact, that we're trying to encourage the parents to realize that they can really have deep, and interesting questions with children, even when the parent themselves isn't sure of the answer. I mean, you know, they're not, they're not a question of when was the Voting Rights Act passed, but why is voting so important? I don't know if we all know the answer. Why, why do people think voting is so important? But it's a great topic to discuss. I think you have set us up perfectly to return to a conversation between Carmen and her granddaughter, Alexia, and uh, Alexia's bestie, Leilani. Why do so many people not vote in elections? Because they don't think it's important to them. And It should be, don't you think? You, should, mm-hmm. you, you think it should be important? Yes. Yes, it is important, but they think it's not. They just say, sometimes they just say, you're just voting. It's not about that. They're just voting? Yeah. They're just saying, they're just voting. But voting is important. Yeah, voting is important. Yeah. So you're going to vote when you get older? How about you? I don't know how to. Mm -hmm. You do know how. I take you voting all the time. But you don't let me press the buttons. Oh, well, that's different. Right. Voting is important Uh, and really a beautiful example here of uh, Tom, the way you put it, I think, was like even even children's picture books uh, have the opportunity. And I would say especially children's picture books have the opportunity to connect, you know, grown up and child to one another. 
um, grown up and child to the the broader world um, and and grown up and child to what how did you put it Susan you haven't read a book if unless it's changed your life unless it's changed your life so go out and vote <laughs> and go out change and read. Go out and read. There Amen. You go. Exactly. go out and read and change your life. Exactly. Many thanks, as always, to the generosity of the families who welcomed us into their homes. Carmen, her granddaughter Alexia and friend Leilani, Crystal and her daughters Bow and Arrow. If you would like to see pictures of the families on today's episode, or if you would like to learn more about how you can engage your family around the big ideas found in children's picture books, visit primetimefamily.org. Primetime Family Reading is an initiative of the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities. Primetime's podcast, Little Voices Big Ideas, is made possible by the generous support of the Community Foundation of Northwest Louisiana, the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, and the National Endowment for the Humanities. Theme music was composed by Sam Gelbiant. George Ingmeyer is our producer. I'm Sarah DeBacher. The views expressed in this episode are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions or policies of our funders or the endowment board or staff. The end. Tell me again How the people tell their stories And who did what And where and when Uh Mm. Tell me again The one from start to finish And tell me where Do I fit in Uh Mm -hmm. Oh I see Yes, I get it now. Everybody's got something to say to each other. Everybody's got something to say to each other.